welcome to All Things Green. I'm Shelby, here with my co-host Anton to discuss a variety of topics from across the sustainability universe. Anton, how are you today? I'm doing well. I'm a little bit congested, but I think uh, this will be fun. This will be fun. It's going to be great. You do sound a little bass heavy today. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, if we were a chorus line, we'd definitely need you. Yes. And if we were a podcast, we still need you too. Yeah. Maybe I'll like sing some Johnny Cash today at Corky's, the, the local karaoke bar. That sounds just great. Uh, <laughs> I wanted to start today with a little bit of an update. Do you remember a few weeks ago we talked about that court case in Montana? Do you remember this case? Oh, yeah. The young people. Yeah. Yes. Young people sued starting in 2020 on mm. behalf of their futures. They said that the state constitution of Montana guaranteed them the right to a clean and healthy environment. But at the time, Montana had in their policies uh, that in cases of oil and gas, fossil fuel industries, they weren't allowed to take carbon emissions into account when they were making decisions about development deals, et cetera. Yeah. And so these young people used that, what they considered to be a breach in the constitution to say that they were being denied constitutional rights. So that was filed way back in 2020 with lots mm -hmm. of young people. And it finally went to trial, I think starting in June of this year, it's the first time that we talked about it. And we just got a verdict back on that. Yeah, and it's good news, right? It's good news. So the judge actually ruled in favor of the plaintiffs, ruled in favor of these young people. And they agreed that, yes, by allowing or maybe disallowing the consideration of fossil fuels and their impact, they were violating these people's constitutional rights. Yeah. I think that's pretty good news, and so does one of the attorneys on the case. And I want to quote something that they said while they were talking to media about the whim. They called it a game changer that marks a turning point in this generation's efforts to save the planet. Yeah. I mean, that's a really huge victory. It's and a huge victory. I'm looking forward to more of those huge victories, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the little ones too, right? Yeah. And speaking of little ones, you want to talk about bugs today? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I've been waiting for a, a good insect episode. Me too. Sorry I'm wearing a dog. You know, that's a little bit different on yeah. my t-shirt, I should say. Sorry but, I'm not wearing any bugs either. But you know what? You've got kind of pollinators going on. You've got yeah. flowers and bugs like that. So what's your general impression when you think about a bug? Like what bugs yeah. come to mind? How do you feel about them? Yeah. Well, there's like so many bugs, right? So like butterflies, mm -hmm. pure beauty. Absolutely. Dragonflies are like the cool, like the jocks of the of the, the bug kingdom. That's my mom's favorite. I'll have to tell yeah. her that she's like the jock of the bug kingdom. <laughs> and then like those really creepy ones, like the centipedes, you know, those are bad news. Yeah. I mean, they're actually good news, but. Good news for I don't the like ecosystem. Them. Yeah. But you're right. If one ran across my foot, I wouldn't be excited about it. No. Um, when I lived in Austin, Texas, I lived in this uh, pretty gross apartment for a short period of time. It was a ground floor apartment. I kept it as clean as a person possibly can, but. It's hot, it's the climate, yeah. I got a lot of roaches. And so my impression of bugs, uh, if I'm thinking about it from that perspective of being in my home, they get kind of a bad rap. But from an environmental perspective, I wanna learn to appreciate where they fit into systems. So I'm glad we're gonna talk all about insects and their place in the world today. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Okay, great. Well, I wanted to start with thinking about where insects fit into ecosystems in a legal sense. Mm -hmm. The New York Times had this wonderful article recently that was asking the question, do butterflies count as wildlife? So if I just asked you that question, 
do butterflies count as wildlife? What would you say? I would say, heck yes, butterflies count as wildlife. Why wouldn't they? Absolutely. <laughs> and I agree with you, but yeah. there are 12 states that don't consider insects wildlife, at least from a legal perspective. So we know that insects are an important part of ecosystems. They're a food source for mm -hmm. one of our favorite shared creatures, birds. Birds. <laughs> <laughs> so birds have to eat insects and so yeah. do lots of other creatures. Yeah. Um, they're also pollinators, you know, for plants, bees, things running around flower to flower, making sure that we're pollinating the plants that we need for, for our ecosystems. Yeah, and for our food, right? Absolutely. Man, yeah. And insects make up to 80% of our animal species on the planet. So yeah. it's a lot to leave out 80% of our species from being considered wildlife. Agreed. So like I said, 12 states don't consider insects wildlife from a legal protection standpoint. Um, Ohio does, good for us. So does Texas, where I just came from. And they take it seriously. That means that you can build it into your plans. The lack of protections in those 12 states that don't protect wildlife really stems from the origins of the laws. So mm. when we think about being able to protect wildlife, what do you think might spur a government to want to protect wildlife? Like, What will come to mind for you? Uh, I would say like maybe trees and stuff like that. Yeah, definitely. They're beautiful. They provide shade. Right. But the actual origins of a lot of these protective laws for wildlife were about hunting and fishing. Oh, no shit. Yeah. And you don't really hunt and fish for for insects. And so right. they were sometimes <laughs> left out as we talked about what would be protected. I'm curious if you're a hunter or a fisher in any ways. Uh, so I'm an, I'm an aspiring hunter. Yeah. I'd like to get out this winter actually. Um, I have my bow mm -hmm. and then a I also, uh, yeah, bow hunting. Yeah. Um, and also fishing is like a big part of my dad's side of my family. Like they were all like born and raised fishermen. So I, I do like fishing for the occasional perch or walleye. Yeah. yeah, I grew up fishing too. Um, we did a lot of catch and release. Yeah, um, not a lot of anything that we would like go back and clean. My uh -huh. parents still have a little pond, right oh, in the back good. of where they live, and so every time I'm there, basically by the time I get up to eat breakfast, my parents have already been out fishing every morning. Yeah. <laughs> so those are the activities that were originally supposed to be protected by these wildlife protection laws that's sort of the origin wanting to protect those as activities that people could engage in for leisure or also to feed their families feed their their livestock whatever you're going to do with the, yeah. the fish or your whatever you're hunting um, but if that's if that leaves out insects we're leaving out as we mentioned 80 percent of the animal population and these protections really matter because having legal protections for wildlife is what allows states to do things like protect habitats create plans to restore species or even consider the well-being of species when they're building new developments etc um, there's also a lot of pushback from industries like agriculture or forestry against protecting insects because that would mean that we could protect forests or lands that they might want to cultivate or cut down yeah. um, because we would be able to protect insects. So there's some industry push here too. And even in states that do allow insects to fall under their protections, they're often at a lower priority level just in terms of funding and visibility. Because again, the origins of those laws tend to push us in this direction of thinking about protecting the activities of hunting and fishing. 
Yeah, and not to mention, like, insects is not, like, the sexiest issue as far as environmentalism goes. Like, you see a push for, like, monarch butterflies because they're beautiful and they're migratory and a lot of people get to see them, you know, north to south parts of the state. But, like, I don't know, if you're just talking about, like, little larvae in a pond somewhere, like, people don't get excited about that. Yeah, definitely. We like things that are aesthetically pleasing and charismatic so, i think is the, is the word that a lot of environmentalists use you <laughs> that's know? why you're here <laughs> <laughs> oh stop shelby <laughs> um, but it's a big deal for us to start talking about insects because their levels are really declining and that's yeah. partially because they are especially vulnerable to the impacts of climate change <laughs> extreme temperatures droughts flooding etc that's really hard on a lot of different species of insects so What can we do? What can we do about the insect population? We live in a state that does protect our our insect population under wildlife protections. Not all states do. So if you live in one of those 12 states, um, not going to list them all. It would just take a long time, but it'll be in the show notes. So you can find out if your state does. You could talk to your legislatures if you want to add that in. But you can also get educated on the role of insects in your community, your environmental community. Um, Or you could take further steps, do things like plant pollinator gardens. It's for beautiful things like monarch butterflies, but it also applies for all sorts of other native species. Um, And then if you do live in a state uh, that's not Ohio or Texas, one of the ones we mentioned that we know protect it, get to know your state laws and see where insects fit in. Yeah. I think that sounds amazing. Uh, I would also just plug, like, sometimes your Department of Natural Resources just have, like, online PDFs and, like, sometimes booklets. Like, I literally called and was like, hey, can you send me every single, like, informational booklet on everything from, like, owls to mammals to insects to, like, native trees? And they're like, sure, we'll just mail it to you. Absolutely. And it was, like, so cool because you get to do so much learning on, like, some of those more charismatic, like, dragonflies and butterflies but there's also those tie-ins of like what these insects eat also. Absolutely. And scientists love to share their work. So yeah. scientists, naturalists, et cetera, they definitely want to talk to you about bugs. So yeah, you could also just go to your local park and find a yeah. park ranger and say, what do you know about bugs? Yeah. I bet you'd get a good answer. Yeah, That sounds great. <laughs> yeah. Tell us about a bug that maybe isn't so great, at least when it's out of place. Yeah. So uh, we talked a lot about a really cool bugs like uh, butterflies, dragonflies, but there's also invasive bugs that make their way over from other continents. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to introduce to you the spotted spotted lanternfly. It sounds pretty nice. I have to say the the name is very flattering. Yeah, it is. It's kind of ugly though. I'm not going to (laughs) lie. The actual bug you mean? Yeah. It's like a big nasty one. Okay. Okay. So the problem with some of these invasive plants like the tree of heaven is uh, they create a little bit of a monoculture that kind of chokes out any native plants. And we know that native plants are important for supporting our local insect populations. Absolutely. Uh, But also invasive like honeysuckles. Uh, Don't tell me. Honeysuckles are so pretty. Yeah, honeysuckles. There's there's a non-native honeysuckle that's very prominent here in Ohio. Okay. And they smell really floral. You probably smell it walking in the parks. Yeah, but they probably love it. And now I will... I will reject it wholeheartedly. Well, you can still appreciate it, but just know that it has to be pulled out and dealt with. Okay. <laughs> but honeysuckles, they actually exude like a poison from their roots that poison other native plants around them. Okay, now I'm mad at them. No yeah. more honeysuckles for me. I'm sorry. Yeah. And lastly, as we talked about, uh, invasive plants could be host plants for other invasive insects. Mm. So so there's some problems with, uh, with invasive plants and... In this case, when the spotted lanternfly has migrated over 
to the United States, you're going to get kind of that double whammy of invasive plant and invasive insect because they kind of co-mingle. They're, they're, they have a symbiotic relationship. Oh, see, I thought that spotted lanternflies like destroyed the plants that they hung out on. So not so much with the tree of heaven? Yeah, not so much with the tree of heaven. Uh, they won't, they won't uh, take advantage of the plant to the point where it can't grow. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, they will do most of their damage to crops like apples and grapes. Oh, no, but yeah. I love apples and grapes. I, I love like a little kid lunch. I've seen it called yeah. that, like a kindergarten lunch where you just bring like a wheel of cheese. A little set of fruit. I think they call that girl dinner nowadays. Oh, dang. I'm behind (laughs) on internet trends. But I will say, yeah, if someone tries to take my my little green apple slices over my dead body. Yeah, no, I I hear that. Well, (laughs) then you got to start fighting these uh, invasive spotted lantern flies because they're wreaking havoc on uh, grape uh, grape vines and apple orchards. So especially in Ohio, uh, we got wine country and we got apple orchards. So... It's kind of a big deal to the local economy here in Ohio. When you say fight them, do you mean I just need to like start flicking them when I see them? Like, what, what, what am I going to do? Yeah, so uh, really the first step to eradicating the spotted lanternfly is just knowing what they look like, being able to identify the tree of heaven, which I brought in. You can check out our previous episode if you want to know what a tree of heaven looks like. Mm-hmm. But also being able to identify the egg masses that the spotter, spotted lanternfly lays. And speaking of that egg mass, they actually travel far and wide because they will lay their egg masses like onto trains. And these trains will just go all over the country and they will hatch, the the flies will hatch and then they'll just migrate that way. And to make matters worse, a lot of these invasive tree of heavens, they pop up right next to train tracks and train stations. Like if you go around in Cleveland and you're like, oh, what's that? tree right there oh it's probably a tree of heaven it's the worst it's like it's terrible lose 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 situation yeah bad news anton today yeah. okay what what's like but, what's my good news here but, but we have good news there are there are solutions that that we can do okay uh it would be really awesome if people were to reach out to their elected officials and educate them about this i think a lot of elected officials would care about uh eradicating invasive uh insects and trees and replanting with something that's native and ornamental and beautiful. So creating like a task force that could actually go in and chop down these trees. It could be just a volunteer task force. Uh, a group of a few people could just take their chainsaws and cut those trees down at the base. They're, they're really not huge and their wood is really soft and light. So like you could probably cut down like a 20 foot tree, no problem. And like- What about their roots? What do we like- Yeah, so they, they would grow back, right, unless unless you get a little bit of diesel fuel. I actually learned this from a former sewer district employee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you take a little bit of diesel fuel and a little paintbrush, mm-hmm. and you paint it on to that freshly chopped rootstock because you want to mm-hmm. cut it down to the base. And then that diesel fuel will actually leach into the rootstock and kill it. That sounds like something we've got to take care of if yeah. we don't want to overrun our train tracks with invasive trees. Yeah, and, and furthermore, yeah, have our, our crops continue to get ravaged. And so these, these volunteer efforts, they're really good, but they're really not going to eradicate the lanternflies, you know, just by doing a volunteer uh, effort. And so another thing that would be really cool, something that was proposed actually during the Trump administration by Dem- the Democratic Party was the Green New Deal. Uh, it wasn't proposed by the Democratic Party, but members of the Democratic Party. Sure. And uh, this, would, this would create a lot of jobs, just creating uh, 
jobs being able to cut down invasives, deal with invasives in a healthy way, uh, but also be planting new natives that would make sure that they uh, don't allow new invasives to come in. You know, if we have a dense planting of natives, then we won't be able to see all these invasives uh, coming in the first place. Yeah, green careers, we love to see Green it. careers, right? So to, to summarize, be able to identify those egg masses, the trees, uh, talk to your local elected officials on getting a task force to cut down these trees in invasive spaces. And then lastly, you know, keep in mind that there's uh, a bigger possibility to uh, get invasives under control with the federal government intervening. Awesome. So, I love to see it. Yeah. Well, I don't love to see the flies or the trees, but I love to see some good solutions. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, Shelby, thank you so much. That was kind of a, a disgusting topic. I hate mm -hmm. the spotted lanternfly. Uh, but I think there's another cool insect that you have coming up for us. That's right, Anton. Um, I want to start before I get into the actual insect by asking you what's going to sound like an unrelated question. Okay. When you go outside in your neighborhood in the evening, mm -hmm. tell me what that looks like. Not like the buildings, but more of the ambiance. The ambiance? Yeah. Just like in the evening, like yeah. sun is setting. Sun is setting. Is it? It's cooling down a little bit. Yeah. Is it dark? Uh, it's starting to get dark. Yeah. 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 Are there streetlights? Yeah. There's there's plenty. Plenty of streetlights. Yeah. So do you feel like you could walk around without needing your own external light source in your neighborhood just oh, from yeah. streetlights? Definitely. Like there's a lot of like light pollution. Like, I, I feel like that's where you're going with this, right? Yeah. <laughs> you beat me to the punch. But yes, like, can you see a lot of stars? Can you see the Milky Way from your neighborhood? I can't, no. Yeah. So that is, as you just said, called light pollution, <laughs> which is also known as artificial lighting at night, mm. A-L-A-N, which I'm going to call Alan. <laughs> uh, for anyone who's seen the Barbie movie, we love a good Alan, but we okay. don't love artificial lighting at night. So... Most of the artificial lighting at night, or Alan, comes from things like electric light from cars, from mm -hmm. buildings, street lights, that kind of thing. You can see it from space. And actually, some of the studies that we've done some space done from space show that three of the countries that have the highest levels of light pollution are Singapore, Qatar, and Kuwait. Mm. And also, as we just mentioned, light pollution reduces the visibility of things like stars, the Milky Way. So purely from an aesthetic point of view, I am anti-light pollution. Um, and I'm curious if you've ever been out to one of those dark sky spots where you can see the Milky Way in all of its glory. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, where um, have you gone? It was actually out of the country. It was in Croatia. Oh, cool. Like just in the mountains. Just beautiful. Yeah, I really want to go to a space called the Observatory Park, which is over in a neighboring county called Giaga, right mm -hmm. here in Northeast Ohio. And then also when I went to Big Bend National Park mm. in, in Texas, it's definitely a dark sky zone. You can see the Milky Way. It's really beautiful. Um, but a lot of people in cities can't see it, maybe yeah. have never seen it. So light pollution can be bad for us just from the perspective of appreciating the world around yeah, us. Yeah, 100%. And really quick, yeah. even like HOAs, like in the suburbs, like it's not even just urban areas. It's like suburban areas too, where like mm -hmm. HOAs require that uh, light in your front yard for, you know, safety reasons. So yes, absolutely. It's wild. 
Um, and I will say, like, there are safety reasons, you know, like you just said that as kind of like a quote unquote, there are safety concerns that would want us to have light, but there are ways to do it that cause less light pollution. Mm. The directionality of the light makes a difference. So yeah. lights that are like totally uncovered mm -hmm. produce more light pollution than a light that's facing only the ground mm. in a small area that still like that. allows someone who's walking. I'm a woman. I do yeah. a lot of running. I do feel unsafe if I'm trying to go on a run in a community that doesn't have any lights. Yeah, that makes sense. But there are ways to do lights that create safety without yeah. this like extensive level of light yeah, pollution. It's not either or, right? You can have both. Absolutely. But we've just spent a lot of time talking about how lights affect just sort of our sensibilities and our ability to see the Milky Way, but it also affects insects. It messes with our circadian rhythms as people that the light is changing like the way that our melatonin processes in our bodies mm. in response to light, but it does it to animals too. And one example of that, to bring it back around to insects, yeah. is glowworms. Oh. You ever heard of glowworms? Uh, I think I may have seen one in Washington D.C. before. Okay, what did what did it look like? Uh, it was like I was like it was it was at night, mm -hmm. and I was just like kind of camping out mm -hmm. uh, on the side of the road in a van, and <laughs> I was like, "What the heck is that? It looks just like a little like glowworm. I yeah, guess. like a little like a little like pill sized like light up thing. I'm like, what is that? Like a like a cap to a water bottle or something mm. and then I like looked closer and I'm like oh my gosh that's like a bioluminescent insect or yeah. something it could have been I don't know enough about all of the different places that they live yeah. to verify <laughs> that it was specifically the kind of glowworm I'm thinking about but they do they look like little worms or at least yeah. the females do so Glowworms actually aren't worms at all. They're beetles. Oh, yeah, yeah. Male glowworms grow into something that looks like what I think of when I think of a beetle. But female glowworms stay in this, like, kind of larval form. Mm -hmm. um, and then their, their little butts glow. It's just so <laughs> cute. Well, it's cute if you ignore the fact that they look kind of slimy and, like, worm-like. But... Very cool. And they do that to attract mates, to let mm. male glowworms know where they are. And so uh, that's why light pollution starts to impact glowworm populations. Scientists in the United Kingdom studied Allen um, and how it impact glowworms. And it turns out that artificial lighting at night means that male glowworms have a harder time finding female glowworms. The light doesn't stand out as much. And then they also, the males avoid artificial light. So the scientists would put out artificial light and the glowworm males would either kind of stay home, not go out in search of a lady friend, or they would spend a lot longer identifying where a female glowworm was because they were trying to go around that artificial light. So it's important for us uh, to reduce light pollution because we want to be able to see the stars but it's also important for insects and glowworms are just one example of that. And there's lots of other insects that produce their own light that we might be able to apply these findings to. Yeah. This is just one study specifically on glowworms, but the discussion section of this peer reviewed journal article talked about potential implications for other bioluminescent species. Yeah, I think that's great findings. And these are like really easy changes that people can make in their own homes, mm -hmm. in their own properties. So I'm really glad that you brought that to the table today. I think even like American audiences with fireflies, like they mm -hmm. don't like too much light pollution either. So in Absolutely. ways that we can reduce that, like you said, those lights that shine down and not out, 
I think that's great, like great solutions. Absolutely, and again, we say it all the time, there are always opportunities for us to take actions, and so we've already mentioned talking to legislatures about, sorry, legislators, about all sorts of things today. This is one more thing to add to that list. When you go and see your city council member, you go, okay, we're talking about removing the lantern flies, and then we also are gonna need to talk about the lighting in my neighborhood, because I wanna see the Milky Way, and I want species to thrive. I want apples and grapes. And I want apples and grapes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, talking to elected officials is important. It's not as daunting as it seems either. I mean, honestly, just call them up. They're normal people that work for you. So Absolutely, they are. (laughs) Absolutely, they are. Well, thanks so much for talking all things green and buggy with me today. Thank you, Shelby. How about you tell everybody how we can keep up to date with us? Absolutely. If you'd like to stay connected to us, be sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at One Planet Media. That's O-N-E-1. And if you'd like to rewatch full episodes, check out our YouTube channel, All Things Green Show. You can find all of our sources from today's episode in our show notes. We'll be back at the same time next week. Thank you for being a part of the global sustainability.